Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me back. I'm, uh, the title of what I'm going to go over today is called The Long Sacred Look. The Long Sacred Look. And it is uh, a discussion that comes out of a number of years in my life, the last three or four years probably, something that's been just going on in my own heart, and I'll tell you more about that. But it's so near to me, if you have been in any of the audiences as I've been traveling around, often in the Northwest or even around the world, you, you probably heard some of the formative ideas here. But we were celebrating our last year at Church of the Open Door. Church of the Open Door, I, I'm, we celebrated our 100th anniversary. Uh, I, I wasn't there the whole time. I'm old, but... I'm not that old. And we had these legacy Sundays, 12 to 15, as you might imagine, in an in, in historic church. And, and this was my message to uh, the generation of Church of the Open Door when we had our big shindig, our big get-together with everybody who'd ever been a part of Church of the Open Door over, who's still alive over the last century. And uh, it really comes from a, a place in my heart. It's a, it's a heavy burden that I have not only for Church of the Open Door, but for all churches. And I would think and I hope that for some of you, it could even be a New Year's resolution. I just can't think of a better message to bring to you on uh, this day to bring to Antioch, a church that's really close to my heart. So let me pray and uh, we'll just jump right into it. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of this long, sacred look into the face of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm asking, Father, for your Holy Spirit to be powerful. Uh, beginning with my friend David Anderson, who's uh, preaching this morning at Church of the Open Door, I pray, Father, you give him peace and freedom. And then, Father, for our time together here, I pray, could you make this, could your Spirit make this an event uh, rather than just coming to church. I'm asking if you would do that, we would be so thankful to you, kind sir. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give you the thrust of the sermon right up front, the long sacred look. This is what I hope to can persuade you of. The sentence is this, the more you look to Jesus the more you will want to follow him and to serve him in this broken world. The more you look to Jesus, the more you will want to follow him and serve him in this broken world. I want to begin in the same way I began the sermon at Church of the Open Door with a confession, a pastoral confession. Years ago, when Jesus grabbed my heart in the Jesus movement, I was crazy about him. Even though I didn't know very much about Jesus, uh, and in hindsight means I didn't know much about his love, but he loved me a lot more than I ever imagined, Jesus to me was winsome, Jesus to me was gentle. Jesus to me was severe. 
He was intriguing. He was mysterious. It had never occurred to me before I met him that I could be a part of something that my heart suddenly longed for more than anything else. To be a part of the cause of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus captured my heart, seized my mind, ruled my aspirations. I was possessed by the idea of his kingdom. Is the biggest idea imaginable, and Jesus was indeed to me, I was finding as I began to understand the Scriptures, that Jesus is the great player in an astonishing drama that is unfolding before our very eyes. The Son of God is establishing His righteous rule over all the earth and in creation. So I remember being so excited. I was joining Jesus in changing the world. Lives, families, neighborhoods, even cultures would find healing and peace in Jesus Christ. And then, because I didn't know what else to do, I started serving Jesus in churches, studying how to most effectively change the world, Other voices, good voices, began to clamor for my attention, to drive me to commitment to their causes and correctness according to their standard. And I was soon transfixed, innocently, sincerely. And, and really unaware, it was almost imperceptible. I turned from ideal to theory, from love to duty, from wonder to weariness. And I understand now that the reason was that Jesus had been moved from the center of my life. I was doing a lot of things that had to do with Jesus. And so this sermon is about my journey back to my first love and the awe of being invited into the story of history, the triumph of the kingdom of the Son of God's love. And this is what bothered me the most. While I never meant to drift from Jesus, I just got all caught up in theology, in church strategies and tactics, and then kind of might have wilted under the crushing weight of local church ministry. And I just lost the wonder of it all, the magnitude of the privilege, the call to make a real and lasting difference in this world. And then 20 years ago, I became pastor of Church of the Open Door, this historic church. And while I never meant to mislead, I 
I fear that those I've led have, like me, we're beginning to lose the wonder of it all. It's becoming more and more about Church of the Open Door to me and probably to all of us and less and less about Jesus. And, and I knew that our community had moved Jesus from the center. And we were doing a lot of good things. It wasn't like we were heretics. So I decided that for me and for Church of the Open Door, it would, be, it would be time to move Jesus back to the center. And in 2014, we did the most radical thing I've ever done as a pastor. We knew that 2015 would be nuts, crazy busy, this 100th year anniversary. And so in 2014, we asked God for the faith to rest. Yeah, we, we didn't do anything. We gathered together at church. We continued our small groups, but all the busy things we used to do, we didn't do for a year. And I can still remember, first time sitting with the staff at Church of the Open Door in 2013 and saying, here's what we're going to do next year. And they're all like, yeah, ready to take notes. Nothing. Huh? Nothing. What? What? There'll be no strategy. There'll be no tactics. There'll be no hillside Christmas. There'll be no this, no that, no. All, we're just going to do the essentials. We're going to try to be like the early church. We're going to meet together. We're going to pray together. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table. And we're going to go through the book of Hebrews. <laughs> then, I used to remember the day I was going to tell the elders about this. I was just like, oh, Lord, what am I doing? I <sighs> sat around the same table this time on a Thursday evening with the elders and said, here's what I think God's asking us to do in 2014, nothing. Anyway, we did it. And I don't even know if it was a good idea. I do know <laughs> that it moved Jesus back to the center. And I want to help you um, moving Jesus back to the center by taking this, what I call this long, sacred look, that Jesus is this great person. In Colossians 1, 15 through 20, I don't want you to turn there. I just want to review it for you. We have this, old, this great New Testament hymn. It's a New Testament hymn, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Just to give you the highlights, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He is the head of the body of the church, the firstborn from among the dead. This was a song. If you, if you look, you can tell in the Greek text that uh, Paul is setting that apart. He's reminding them because the Colossians were drifting away from Jesus. Jesus was no longer at the center. They were into a lot of other things. And he's reminding them of who it is that they are in this relationship with, who it is that loves them, who it is that moved into the brokenness of their life, that he is the Lord of creation, the Lord of the church. And as I began thinking about how to move Jesus back to the center of my life and back to the center of the lives of those of us at Church of the Open Door, three key passages 
look to Jesus. Jesus must be at the center of our lives. So three key passages, if you could throw those up there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and I did this through the back door, through a word study. These are all passages uh, that I've studied over the years. Two from, the, from Paul and one from the writer of Hebrews. And I got into this, uh, I was thinking about doing a word study on this whole idea because Colossians is probably the book I've studied more than any other and taught more times than any other. And the key verse in all of Colossians tells us that we should be gazing, we should be dwelling on Jesus. And I remember, and I was thinking, I wonder if there's anything, uh, if this is as important as I think it is. So we're going to look at these three passages. I'm going to mix them up a little. We're going to begin with 2 Corinthians 3.18. And then Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and we'll finish with Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And what we're going to discover is that they all tell the same thing, tell us the same thing, and that is to put our eyes on Jesus. The more we look at Jesus, the more we will want to, the more motivated we will be to follow him and to serve him in this broken world. And maybe some of you would discover how backwards the exhortations have been to you to measure up to Jesus and then maybe you get an audience with him. That's the exact opposite. We have an audience with him. And when we spend time with him, we begin to be transformed. We're going to read that word over and over again so that we become more like him. We value what he values. We see what he sees. We're moved by what moved him when he walked with his disciples. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 18. What it's going to tell us is that the Holy Spirit moves believers toward the goal of living righteously before God by conforming us to the image of Christ, by changing us to be more like Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to begin at verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And he's contrasting this uh, to Moses. He's contrasting this to Moses and letting us understand that Moses was a type, uh, speaking of those who are set free and can see the glory of God in the way that Moses did. Verse 17 again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, reflecting the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is talking about the mystical transformation. Keep in mind, Christians, that the gospel is not only good news to you. Christ died for your sins and arose. And when we trust in him, he invades our life with his. It's called eternal life. 
A lot of evangelicals, a lot of conservative Christians really understand that. But what we don't understand is that the gospel is not only good news to me, but once I trust in Jesus Christ, it is good news about me. I have been changed. I'm not who I used to be. I am not on a trajectory to live the way I used to live. But how does this happen? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that there is a ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives that when we look to Jesus and we dwell on Jesus, we are being transformed from one glory to another. Let me just give you a few insights from the text. Uh, The word I'm reading from the Net Bible, it says, reflecting the glory of the Lord. And that's a pretty good, it's hard to get everything that's in that verb in the Greek text, but it means to behold, uh, to behold something in a mirror. So it has a dual meaning here. I am looking to Jesus Christ, and in another way, it's like looking into a mirror, and the more time I spend with Jesus, the more my life looks like Jesus. The more I think like him, the more I am moved by what moves him, the more I will notice in the world what he notices, the more I will disregard in the world what isn't important to him. Our being transformed, it is, it's a perfect passive, which means that it's something that absolutely God will do for us. It is passive, meaning that I don't have to, as I'm, as I'm spending time with Jesus, I don't have to say, I'm going to be more like him today. That's not the way it happens. You, don't, you, you can't find the disciples saying, Jesus, uh, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have to get alone by ourselves today, and we're going to work on our stuff. And then we're going to come back more acceptable to you. Uh Uh-uh. Jesus knew that the most important thing for them was to spend time with him. Our being transformed into the image, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this is a figure of speech often used. You know, Paul says, faith to faith, grace to grace. What he's speaking of here is uh, ever-increasing experiences of glory. So we are in this unhindered, barrierless uh, relationship with the living God, unlike Moses. The longer we look to Jesus, the more we will want to follow him and serve him in this broken world. I knew three or four years ago that it was vital for me. I, it was my lifeblood. It was more important than writing books. It was more important uh, than Church of the Open Door. Uh, you know, being, that being important, it was more important. Than, I had to move Jesus back to the center of my life. And this is one of the passages I turned to. And sure enough, I realized that it is the best thing for my life is to spend time with Jesus. Uh, The second passage is Colossians chapter 3. If you'll turn with me to the right of your Bible, one of those four little books in the middle, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. The real secret to spirituality. 
Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, since, be a good translation there, since you have, it's affirming something that's true of us as Christians. Since you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Keep thinking about things above, not things on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will be revealed in glory with him. It's the same way to a different crowd to say the same thing. To the Corinthians who had come right after he wrote 1 Corinthians, he's affirming them And he says to them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be fixed on Jesus Christ so that you'll become more like him. To the Colossians who were moving Jesus from the center, he gives the same message. A couple of details from the text. Since everything about us as Christians is due to Jesus, he tells us, keep thinking about things above. Keep thinking thinking about things above. That could be to dwell on. It means to look at something and not look away, to turn your eyes from other things to one thing. And it's exactly the same message. In Colossians 3, if I was teaching the whole book, Colossians is all about false spirituality, spirituality by religious works, a spirituality by religious experiences, which was beginning to settle in even uh, in the time of the first century. And he says, no, spirituality is, about, is, like, is being like Jesus. And Colossians 3, 1 through 4, he says, if you'll spend time with Jesus, what you're going to find, it goes on, that the very character of Christ is going to be built in you. What is already in us, I'm new in Christ, is going to be brought out so that when you get to this awesome conduct phase of Colossians 3 where you're doing these wonderful things of loving other people and and being a servant and being selfless in, in in this world, it all comes from, we tend to begin here. Because shame and guilt just That's where we gravitate toward. And leaders gravitate toward shame and guilt because it works so well in the short run, doesn't it? You dirty little Christians, we're going to be better. Look what it says here. But that's not the way it works. It comes back to spending time with Jesus. And when we spend time with Jesus and we read about him in the Gospels and we live in his community... And we begin to see and hear Jesus from others. There's something that the Holy Spirit does in us and the very character of Christ begins to form in us. And we do the things we do for Christ and turn the world upside down for him, not because we are striving, but because we are being transformed. You wind us up in the morning. It's what we do. If we're like Christ. At the baptism of Jesus by John, the father didn't say, this is my son. Let's see how it goes. I hope he does well. 
Because Christ has all the character, all the power, all the transformation any human being will ever need. And then finally, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews was always a hard book for me to find. For some reason, still today, it seems like Hebrews ought to come after James, but doesn't, it comes before. So if you go to James, turn back a little bit. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says the same thing. It all begins with the relationship with Christ. The first two had to do with our transformation. It has to do with being changed, of being more like Christ because we spend time with Christ, of moving Christ back to the center of our lives by gazing on him, by dwelling on him, by spending time with him, by hanging with him and his people, and the Spirit is working powerfully to transform us. So the new creation is coming out of us. This is more, the book of Hebrews is more about endurance. It's written to a, a suffering church. And, and every week, more, it's a Jewish community somewhere in the New Testament world outside of Palestine. And every Sunday they would show up and there'd be fewer people there because it was just so hard to follow Christ. And I believe the writer of Hebrews, whoever it is, was the pastor there. And, and writing these words to encourage them to endure. Chapter 12, verse 1 of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings to us closely and run with endurance the race set out for us. And it's right here that the shame and guilt crowd that get you frothing at the mouth to do something about Jesus that will not last, this is where they quit. I can remember going to those big Jesus movement get-togethers, and uh, there was no rock music in church back then, so the only way we could find it was in our own gatherings. I know I've said this before, but those of you who like contemporary church music, you owe me. I have the scars on the back from the fangs of the sheep to bring in, to pray music into the church. Anyway, um, they stop there, but they need to go on. How, how do I do this? Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set out for him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. You show me a Christian, including me, who is growing weary in my soul and giving up. It's not because I haven't heard enough sermons telling me to do the hard thing and get out and get going and be... You might imagine as a young Christian off the street, I, whatever they told me, I tried. 
And so I rode that hobby horse of being more committed than anybody else. Until some people who loved me well years and years ago began to disciple me into the grace of God. The word keeping our eyes fixed on him, once again, turning our eyes from something else and turning it to Jesus and Jesus alone. Think of him. It's only used here in the New Testament, and it's, it's, it's speaking of the gaze of, of an artist gazing at the subject that she or he is going to paint and, and getting to know that face so well that they can reproduce it. So the longer we look at Jesus the more we will want to follow him and serve him in this broken world. Jesus is the center. Enduring faith, which is what we need. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's easy to follow and serve Jesus. Because it's not. But it is impossible to endure in following and serving Jesus. If we move Jesus out of the center of our lives, then we're just doing religion. The longer we look to Jesus, the more we will want to follow him and serve him in this broken world. So that's my message to Antioch on this first day of 2016, first Sunday. This is what you must remember, never to forget. Jesus must be at the center. Maybe you have a little confession of your own. Maybe the Christian life has turned from wonder to weariness. From love to duty. Maybe you've just spun out. Do you understand that with Jesus it's okay to spin out? We all spin out. Just got a a prayer request. Um, from overseas, from one of our young missionary couples. Their dream was to serve Christ in Chad, and uh, the first baby went full term, was born, stillborn. He got this neurological disease, and and of course, you know, you can always find like there's all. It is true that God makes everything work out. Because of his disease, they have to be in France, and they're they're uh, they, rather they want to be in Chad, but they're in France, and they realize that. It's much easier to reach Chadians with the love and the healing of Christ in France than it is in Chad. And they're making a big difference. And then, um, you know, I have these protest prayers. We just found out their little girl uh, has cancer. And I'm, I, I spun out. I don't get it. 
I know cancer. I've been real time with cancer for 15 years. And man, if I thought Jesus was saying, you're a pastor. You got to stand up there and tell everybody it's okay. It is not okay. I'm not okay with the suffering in this world. And it's somewhere in the mystery of being related to the God of the universe, a Lord of creation, the Lord of the church, those kind eyes say to me, hey, and you, you just take a seat. You don't have to be or do for me. You just sit here with me. And when I wrote to this young couple, I, I said, yeah, um, I have no, I have no words. Here's what I know. If you'll ask him, Jesus, just bring Jesus into the pain. That's where he wants to be. I mean, what kicked this whole thing off in my mind and in my heart was I was doing a conference for a bunch of church planners, and I won't tell you where because I don't want you to figure out. It wasn't, it wasn't in the Northwest. And the guy who was hosting it, I mean, that dude was wound so tight. He asked me if I would preach in his church, and I said, yeah, I'm here on a Sunday. I'll preach in your church. I'd wrapped up the seminar and and I went to church at next day, and this, and this guy, I'll never forget, he was standing during the time of the singing. This was a hands-up church. You know, they're hands-down, hands-up churches. <laughs> Do-nothing churches. Somebody might think I'm a little weird. Clap, don't clap. You know, and then sometimes you go to a new church, you don't know what to do, you start to clap, you go. <laughs> I mean to get too excited about Jesus here. I can just say that. <laughs> I'll never forget the picture of this poor man. We're in his church. I'm preaching for you. He didn't even have to preach. I'm thinking, man, when somebody's preaching for me, I'm just sitting there going, hey, kicking back. This is great, man. No adrenaline. I'm cool. And this guy had his phone. While he's standing up on the front row, had his phone texting, waving, and saying, yeah, whoa, praise. Yeah, Jesus. And I said, this guy's sick. And the Lord said, you're pretty sick too, Ed. And that started the whole thing. Has Jesus moved from the center of your life? Over Christmas and New Year's, Judy and I, for some reason, I, we had lost it. I thought we had lost this little book, uh, a little diary that I was keeping when we were newlyweds, first couple of years of marriage. And for some reason, you know how that goes? For some reason, it was in a box of Christmas stuff that we, had, we hadn't looked at for years. I remember saying to, Jesus, to Judy and to Jesus, we have too much junk. We can't find the important stuff out of the other stuff. And I was reading in this journal, it was a time in our life, we had just had our, our first child, 
I was working full-time for the Forest Service as a fireman, and we were living in a little uh, Forest Service compound, Fulton Hotshots in the Southern Sierras. Just beautiful. I was making good money. Uh, we thought that's what we wanted to do with our lives, and then the Holy Spirit began to move powerfully in us, and we knew for sure that the Forest Service wasn't in our future, and that God wanted to start a long journey of going back to college and university, and, and um, to university, and then uh, anyway, we, but it was right there, and I was looking at this, and every day it was like, I, today I have to tell Bill I'm quitting. Bill was my boss. And, um, and I knew it wasn't going to be powerful. It wasn't going to be popular. And I knew that all my buddies on the hotshot crew were going to be angry with me and they would feel forsaken. And, uh, and, and, I, and I wrote down next to that, Jesus, please be with me. I knew very little, but I had a lot of faith. And then tomorrow we bring our little baby up to this mountain place. I got to find more firewood. I got to ask the crew if they'll cut firewood for us. It's hard for me to do. I don't like being needy. And then Jesus, please be with me. Tomorrow we move down to the valley. I don't know where I'm going to go to school. I don't know where we're going to live. Jesus, please be with me. And Junior, I read those pages and we're in the middle of the last big transition of our life. I don't know, this is, we're moving into our last lap. It's going to be different than the lap we're on right now. We don't know how Jesus is going to care for us or what we're going to do for Jesus. And we find ourselves being a little fearful. Back then, I knew little, but I had a lot of faith. Now, I find that sometimes I know a lot but I don't think about Jesus very much. And I don't know what I'm going to do, what Judy and I, here's what I know. We're going to run the last lap with our eyes fixed on Jesus. I think that's a good idea for all of us. The one way I would encourage you to make 2016 different from 2015, spend more time with Jesus, think about Jesus more, come into his presence Ask his spirit to make you more like him. Because the more you look at Jesus, the more you're going to want to follow him and serve him in this broken world. And if I can help you in any way, let me know. I'll hang around until nobody wants to talk. Father, we thank you for the grace of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you that it isn't up to us. I love Brendan Manning's words that you love us just the way we are, not the way we should be because we're never going to be what we should be. But as we are walking here on earth among broken people and in broken cultures, I'm just asking that you would cause every believing heart to ask this question. Have I moved Jesus from the center of my life? And if you're 
answer is yes, that they would be open during 2016 to take a long, sacred look into the face of Jesus that is never more compelling than when it wears a crown of thorns. In Jesus' name, amen.